0: Let us bow together for a moment of prayer. Make us to know in very fact that we are in thy presence, that we are sitting at thy feet, Lord Jesus, to learn of thee and speak to every waiting heart the word we most need here today and prepare both our spirits and our minds for meeting thee at thine own table. For thy dear name's sake, amen. Going to ask you to turn again to Luke chapter 17 and at verse 11. In this very brief series of four messages, we've been following a sequence. Christian growth, Christian guidance, and this morning, perhaps most important of all, in the context of our modern life, Christian gratitude. And I want us to take the little story that was read earlier as a basis for considering this all-important subject. For there is something God has said to my own heart, which I want to share with you this morning. And we shall come to the point of climax a little later, when I shall seek to show with you that one of the great and most important criteria of judgment in that day when we stand before the Lord Jesus is whether or not we have lived thankful lives. We talk about being filled with love. We talk about being filled with loyalty. We talk about being filled with devotion. But ultimately and basically that all arises from whether or not we know what it is to be grateful, what it is to be thankful. So let's turn to verse 11 and notice that of all the stories in the gospel, there is none that so poignantly sets in contrast a life of gratefulness as against a life of ingratitude. You remember the lepers had come to Jesus with a desperate need and a deep longing. And he had cured them, and cured them all, and so they went from him. But only one out of those ten had enough gratitude in his heart, enough thankfulness in his heart, to return and bow down before his benefactor, even the matchless Savior, and with a loud voice, to glorify God and to give him thanks. And the key verse, of course, is found in 15 through to 16. One of them, however when he saw that he was healed, turned back, and with a loud voice glorified God, fell down on his face, at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan, the despised person, the outcast. Jesus called him the stranger. He returned to give thanks. Now, among the many lessons the Holy Spirit would teach us from this incident, there are three that relate to what I'm calling the Christian grace of gratitude or the grace of Christian gratitude, just as you wish. The first is what I'm calling the rareness or rarity of this grace of Christian gratitude. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten, but where are the nine? Verse 17. From the story we learn that nine out of ten were more ready to pray than they were to pray. Nine out of ten were more ready to pray than there were to praise. Look at verse 13. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Although Luke tells a story with an economy of words, I can just imagine the scene as those ten came up to the Master. They could lose absolutely nothing. They were outcasts because they were lepers. They had to go around holding their hands over their mouths, crying unclean unclean, unclean, and it was forbidden that anyone should touch a decaying body such as the body of a a leper. They were the outcast of society, they were the outcast of the city itself. They dwelt beyond the borders of the city in their own little colony of filth and rottenness and desolation. But they meet the Savior, they know he's coming, and they move up to him with expectancy and hearts, full of faith. For only faith can be met with such healing, grace, and redemption as met those ten people. And they cried, have mercy on us, have mercy on us, have mercy on us. Now it is true that there are always people who are more ready to pray than they are to praise. It's true of your life, it's certainly true of mine. Cases have been known where a whole ship's crew in time of storm have prayed. And yet when the deliverance came, there wasn't a single voice that was lifted in praise and thanksgiving to God. There are times again and again in your life and mine when we've been faced with crises. And like those ten lepers, we've fallen at the feet of the Savior and we've cried for mercy. Lord, answer this one, and I shall praise thee the rest of my life. God has broken into the situation, and in his glorious, redeeming, and delivering power, has lifted us out of our situation and set us free. And yet we've never kept our vows. We've never gone on to praise him with our lips and with our eyes. Yes, we find it more easy to pray than we do to praise. It's an indictment upon our eye in relation to this matter of gratitude. And when we think of it, prayer was designed for time, whereas praise ever lived in paradise. It left the lips of Adam and Eve, but it's reserved Not only for earth, but for heaven. And when prayer has ceased, to be a necessity, we shall ever praise throughout the eternity of the eternities. Prayer is for time, whereas praise is for time and eternity. It's the highest activity to which any creature from the hand of God can ever rise. That adoration and homage and praise and thanksgiving for which we were ever created. It's a rare gift, is this gift of gratitude. The rareness of the grace of gratitude. Out of the nine, they were more ready to pray than they were to praise. In the second place, I want you to notice that out of the nine, they were more ready to get than they were to give. There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. Paul, in addressing the elders at Ephesus on the occasion of his departure for the last time, quotes the Lord Jesus as having said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those words are not actually found in the Gospels, though hinted at. But it was a statement that our Savior must have uttered and was conveyed to the Apostle Paul and he remembered it. And in this particular context, he's reminding them that what God wants of those elders at Ephesus is the giving spirit. Beloved friends, you know it as well as I do, because nothing has been more convicting to my own heart than the pondering of this story. It is perfectly true that I'm more willing to pray than than I am to praise, but just as true that I'm more willing to get than to give. Yet Jesus said, the blessedness, the blessedness that he has promised is the blessedness of those who rather give than receive. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Our Saviour bound up this principle in words that are very devastating and searching to anyone who takes time to contemplate them. He said, whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. Tell me, are you more willing to give than you are to get? Why have we come here this morning? All of us have come to receive. I know I have, as I bowed my head in prayer As I've sung these hymns, and as I re-preach what God has said to me throughout the week, I know that I'm waiting for a blessing. I'm waiting for God to touch my life in a new way, even though I happen to be the mouthpiece for our corporate worship this morning. I'm waiting to receive, and that's true of all of us. But I wonder if any of us has gone beyond that, whether as I opened... With that great word, the Father seeketh such to worship him. We've come to give. We've come to give. We've come to give to God, the Father. We've come to give to God, the Son. We've come to give to God, the Holy Spirit. We've come to give to one another. By our mutual exchange in the singing, in the fellowship, in this act of worship, when we come to the taking of the sacraments, we're giving and giving and giving. Why? Because we're so grateful. Look back through your experience, my friend, and you'll discover again and again that the most generous people you've ever met have always been the thankful people, the grateful people, people who are dominated and absorbed with a sheer gratitude to Almighty God. They're ever giving. They're always giving. They give with a light in their eyes. They give with a smile upon their face. They give in a handshake. They give by the little thoughtfulnesses and deliberate acts of kindness. They give out of their pockets. They give out of their property. They give by opening their homes. They're forever giving. Why? Because they're just obsessed with gratitude. Jesus said, Whosoever shall save his life, hold it to himself. Whosoever is going to live the life of possessiveness and self-centeredness, which is the very antithesis of gratitude, the same shall lose it. The same shall lose it. But whosoever loses his life, giving it away, giving it away, is the one who'll save it. Have you wondered why it is that life of yours is not enriched as it ought to be? You've sat under the ministry, you've met with your Lord in prayer, but you lament the fact in the solitudes of your heart this morning that you're not growing as you should. You don't know the guidance of God as you should. You don't know that outwardness of your life as you should. The impact of your life, is not being registered in the places you move in business or in community life. You're asking the question, why is it? Why is it? May not the answer be that you've lost a thankful heart. You're more ready to get than you are to give. The third place, I want you to notice as we study the rareness of this gift of gratitude, this grace of Christian gratitude, that nine out of the ten, were not only more ready to pray than they were to praise, to get than they were to give, but nine out of the ten were more ready to ascend than they were to descend. They were more ready to grasp that which was being offered them and ascend to a higher status, from the leper colony to the high priest's audience and they were to descend and flatten themselves in prostration at the feet of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, Go show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and they went speedily. Only one man stopped in his tracks and turned back and said, No, I know what a privilege it is to look into the face of the high priest. In fact, I've never seen the face of the high priest ever since I was born. I was a leper. And it's been worse and worse as I've grown. And I've never been in the temple courts. I wouldn't be allowed to. I'm not allowed in the cities, as a matter of fact. Oh, I'm going up. I'm ascending. One man stopped and he said, no. Privilege that that is. There's one thing I must do first. I must descend. And he turned back and fell prostrate at the feet of his wonderful Lord. My friend, if you look back through your experience, and as certainly as I look back on mine, I've discovered again and again that I've been most thankful not when I was rising, not when I was rising to grasp, as it were, that to which I'm being drawn or sent, it might be, but when I descended to the foot of a cross and in utter brokenness, in utter gratitude, in utter worship, looked into the face of my Savior and said, Lord, this is where I belong. This is where I belong. This is where I belong. Not up there in the presence of the high priest, but down there at the foot of the cross, broken, repented, thankful. No wonder Paul reiterates the Old Testament injunction with great insistence that he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Go show yourself to the priest. There was nothing wrong about that. But before they ascended, they should have descended, for the way to up is down, as Dr. Donald Barnhouse used to put it. Yes, the grace of gratitude is rare. It's so contrary to the depraved nature and self-centeredness of an uncrucified life. Oh, that God would bring us to the cross again and again until we cry. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my riches gain. I count but loss. Poor contempt on all my pride. He must increase, but I must decrease. The rareness of this gift of Christian gratitude. But in the second place, our main division is a consideration of what I'm going to call the reality of the grace of Christian gratitude, the reality of it. Though it's so rare, thank God, it's real, it's real. And when it's found, I tell you, it makes all the difference in your life. The reality of the grace of gratitude. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. When the grace of gratitude is mastered a believing soul, it has two marks of reality. Two marks of reality. The first is what I'm calling a genuine thoughtfulness. A genuine thoughtfulness. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed. Undoubtedly, the other nine also perceived that they'd been cleansed. For the record tells us, verse 14, that as they went, they were cleansed. But here was a man who, notwithstanding that he was a despised Samaritan, saw with deep insight and grateful discernment the relationship of cause and effect. The skin had come to him like the skin of a little child. This was the effect which led him in thoughtfulness and deliberate thoughtfulness, genuine thoughtfulness, to the call, The appeal of prayer and the answer to prayer made sense to him. The misery of his heart and life and the mercy of God made sense to him the grace of asking and the grace of thanking made sense to him there was genuine thoughtfulness how thoughtful are you how thoughtful is my own heart we're so thoughtless by nature young people may i say a word to you so often as children were thoughtless and therefore ungrateful to our parents there was a time in your life my friend when a week's neglect would have killed you but your parents saw you through not just a day or a week or a month, but years until you reach the place of independence and livelihood. And yet so frequently, the time comes when our aged parents are a nuisance, and we never think of repaying something of what we owe to them. There isn't the thoughtfulness, and therefore there isn't the gratitude. As King Lear said in the day of his own tragedy, how sharper than a serpent's tooth is to have a thankless child. So often, We're thoughtless as children. So often we're thoughtless as grown-ups and therefore ungrateful to our fellow men. There are few of us who have not at some time or another received great benefit and kindness from some fellow man. It may have been a friend, a doctor, a surgeon, a teacher, a pastor. The tragedy of life is that we never think to be thankful, never mind to repay the debt we owe. Look back over your life and see that life, enriched and enhanced by the touch of kindness. All your pathway, even amidst the trials and problems and difficulties of life, had been strewed with the tokens of God's kindness through fellow men. And fellow women, tell me, are you thoughtful enough enough to be thankful enough? Blow, blow, thou winter wind. Thou art night, not so unkind as men's ingratitude. So often we're thoughtless and therefore ungrateful to God. Indeed, ungratefulness to parents, friends and neighbors or even our enemies constitutes ungratefulness to God in the final analysis. I wonder how many of us here this morning as we come to break this bread and take it and put that cup to our lips are going to bow our heads in unspeakable thankfulness because of what God has done. When they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Do you remember that story? My friend, the whole Bible is just full of what God has done in order to forgive us. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Paul says to Timothy, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Why? Because all things come from the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. For in him we live and move and have our being. Is it not about time that we said with a psalmist, Oh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Genuine thoughtfulness, genuine remembrance, I believe our Lord Jesus Christ in his inscrutable wisdom ordained and instituted this solemn yet glad feast of sacramental remembrance in order that we might in fact bring him to mind. For the very Greek word means to call to mind, to remind, to bring from the subconscious where all the impressions of life had been indelibly placed and to recall by the power of the Holy Spirit. All that Jesus is in his redeeming and in his glorious forgiving forgiving love. Remind, lest we forget, lest we forget Gethsemane, lest we forget his love to us. We need to be brought again and again to this feast of remembrance. The second mark of reality is a genuine thoroughness. Not only a genuine thoughtfulness, but a genuine thoroughness in our gratitude. He turned back and with a loud voice, glorified God, fell down at his feet saying, thank you. An examination of this statement reveals that there was a genuineness of activity in his thankfulness. He turned back. Laziness, lethargy, and indifference were slain by the spirit of enthusiastic action. I don't believe we can ever, ever excuse ourselves on the basis of laziness or indifference or apathy for being thankful. In fact, there is no gratitude at all. Gratitude will go through hail and fire and storm and any, just to say thank you. It'll take up that telephone. It'll write that letter. It'll present yourself in person. Nothing's going to stop. Thankfulness and gratitude when it's really there. Not only genuine in his activity, but notice he was genuine in his vitality and his thankfulness. With a loud voice, he glorified God. He was not afraid to be heard as he rendered his thanks to his Lord. And there is a place for shouting, you know, in the religious life. Oh, there is. When Jesus triumphed on the cross, he didn't whisper, it is finished. He cried with a loud voice. Accomplished! That is the greatest moment of victory in the universe. There is a sense in which we're to be heard. It's to be seen. It's to be felt. There's to be vitality about our thankfulness. And with all, there is to be genuine humility. He fell down at his feet, giving him thanks. In shameless prostration at the master's feet. he gave expression to his unbounded gratitude. What a posture, what a peon of praise. With a loud voice, he glorified God, giving him thanks. The reality of Christian gratitude. But as I started, so I end. And here is the wonder of it all, in spite of the fact that God expects us to come to give as well as to get. We never give without getting. And so I want to conclude on the thought that has particularly struck me as I pondered this theme. It's what I'm calling the reward of the grace of Christian gratitude, the reward of Christian gratitude. We've looked at its rareness, and indeed it's rare. Tell me where you've last met a really thankful person. Tell me where you've last met a really thankful church. Tell me when you last met a really thankful family where there was no grumbling. It was all praise and all gratitude and all thanksgiving. It's a rare gift, this. But it's real, and it's real because God has made us to be real. And if only we'll receive the spirit of thankfulness as an act of faith and ask that that Holy Spirit should reproduce in us the thankfulness of our Savior. Who's ever thanking as he walked this earth? We shall know something of the reward of gratitude. Jesus said, there are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And he said unto him, arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. Yes, there is a reward for gratitude. It's what I'm going to call, first of all, the reward of personal approbation. The reward of personal approbation there are not found that return to give glory to god save this stranger even though we can feel the heartache of the master as he expresses his disappointed his disappointed heart in the attitude of the nine yet there's no doubt of his appreciation of the thankfulness of this stranger the samaritan can you imagine anything in the world more wonderful more wonderful as an occupation of your heart and your mind than to bring pleasure pleasure to your wonderful Savior? Is there an incentive anywhere in all the scriptures or in the means of grace more strong to live a thankful life and a grateful life than the smile of the Savior, his personal approbation? When the Lord Jesus looked down upon that now cleansed leper, the Samaritan, the stranger, and said, Oh, you've come to give thanks to me. I'm telling you that was more important than anything ever happened in his life. Now, if you turn with me in thought for a moment to the passage to which I made reference, I'll tell you what I mean by this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul is speaking about the day when we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now our text. Wherefore we endeavor, more literally, Therefore, we are diligent. It's even a stronger word than that. We strive. We become ambitious. That whether present, that is to say in the flesh down here, or absent, that is to say passing out from our bodies to be present with the Lord, whether we be present or absent, we may be accepted by him. Will you look into the margin there and notice that word? We may be not pleasing. That's too weak. The Greek has it that we might be well-pleasing, well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may receive the things done in the body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. My friend, what matters most, what matters most when I stand at the judgment seat of Christ is not that I bring my gold, silver, precious stones as against the wood, hay, and stubble, It isn't that I'm able to turn around and say, Lord Jesus, here am I and the children whom thou hast given me. It isn't that I come to him and I say, well, Lord Jesus, I prove that thou canst give victory not just year by year, but moment by moment, and I've lived in victory to thy glory. No, I think the most glorious moment is when I look into his face unashamed and I see the smile of personal approbation. When that man lifted his face from the position of being prostrate at his feet and saw the Savior smile, he never forgot it again. And in the deepest sense, beloved friends here this morning, in the deepest sense, heaven to me is not going to be freedom from the limitations of this life with this sin-cursed body. Heaven is not going to be just meeting my loved ones who've gone on before, glorious thought. Heaven isn't just going to be the fulfillment of God's purpose with unrestricted liberty throughout the ages of eternity. In the deepest sense of my understanding of the word of God, heaven to be, is going to be the smile of Jesus. His smile is heaven. And as I understand this passage and as I understand the subject we're dealing with, Jesus is going to smile upon thankful lives. The reward of personal approbation. But in the last and in closing thought, we have here the reward of spiritual realization. Bless his wonderful heart. My Savior doesn't only smile. He does something to me. He looked at this man and he said, Thy faith hath made thee whole. Thy faith hath made thee whole. When we open our hearts to thank God, he always fills our hearts with blessing. Nine of those lepers went away, cleansed. Yes, their skins were clean. There wasn't a spot of leprosy. But I have a feeling that that's where it ended. There was one man whose skin was cleansed, the Samaritan, but he went away not just with outward cleansing, but inward cleansing. He knew a comfort, he knew a cheer, he knew a life that was imparted that the others didn't know anything about, because it wasn't to the other men that Jesus said, Thy faith hath made thee whole, but to this one. God always rewards a thankful heart. God always rewards a thankful heart. And I never kneel to say thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for me. I never rise to live in thankfulness without finding him filling up. The very heart that's been opened to say thank you with some new blessing. The very mouth that's been opened to say thank you with some new blessing. The hands that have been opened to say thank you with some new blessing. He blesses us beyond all our capacity to thank. Christian gratitude, it's a rare gift. Christian gratitude, it's a real gift. Christian gratitude. Christian gratitude. It's a rewarding gift, and it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would teach me this morning and teach you the grace of gratitude until, until, not only do we list Thanksgiving, but live Thanksgiving to the glory of God our Father, to the magnifying of Jesus our Savior, and to the exalting of the Holy Spirit our indweller. Lord Jesus, whatever else Thou dost give me in my life, give me a thankful heart. Let us pray. In a few moments, we shall be taking the bread and we shall be saying thank you. We shall be taking the wine and we shall be saying thank you. God grant that it will not be just lip service, but something born in our hearts, something characteristic of our lives. The rareness of this gift, the reality of it, the reward of it. Will you ask God this morning with me to give you a thankful heart? Precious Savior, We thank thee for this story that has been recorded for our learning. We thank thee for the lessons the Holy Spirit has written upon the tables of our hearts this morning. And we ask thee, Lord, that in a world of strife and hate and malice, in a world of lovelessness and unkindness, there shall go out from these walls, from this sanctuary, from this church, from this worship time this morning a group of men and women whose hearts the Lord has touched, whose great vision and ambition will be to live to the thanks and to the glory of our wonderful Savior. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. This is David Olford. You have been listening to a message from God's Word delivered by my late father, Dr. Stephen F. Olford, who went to be with the Lord in the year 2004.